Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. Hey, Chris. Are you melting? Because I'm melting. (laughs) This is the perfect topic for what's going on, you know, currently in, in North America with this massive heat wave, right? Oh, yeah. And and honestly, you know, I'm at Ohio and we at least are relatively used to it. There are certainly people who don't ever see this type of temperature and really struggling with it. Honestly, I, you know, as a young grad student in the Central Valley, California, dealing with the dry heat, 100 degree days, but really no humidity. And then Texas, Florida, I've dealt a lot with heat in horses. And even some of my PhD research was in that. I really feel for horse owners right now. It is hot. It is really hot in many parts of the country. So I think this topic's perfect. Agreed. And hopefully we can give a couple tips to at least make life a little easier and keep horses a bit safer during this weather. Right. And and jumping into it, I think this is going to be an interesting conversation. I mean, obviously we'll talk about some generalities with horses and heat, but from a nutritional standpoint, something we often don't think of outside of just water. So I think to to, to kind of set up the discussion today, you know, physiologically when it's hot, what's going on in the horse and how could that possibly affect the nutrients? Hmm, Good question. So I think we'll definitely talk about sweating and electrolytes a little bit later, maybe, but you know, the other thing that's going on is a lot of their nutrient requirements aren't necessarily increasing because it's just hot out. But the horse's body does have to work harder. It actually has to expend energy to cool itself. Um, That sweating, increased respiration, all of that. So there could be a slight uptake in some of their energy requirements when it's hot. On the flip side, you tend to try to do less with your horse during this type of weather. So I wouldn't necessarily expect to see any big shifts in how we feed or what we do because of a short-term heat wave. But certainly if you relocate a horse from a part of the country that's generally cool to a very hot place they're not adapted to, you could see some differences as a consequence of just that major change in their energy expenditure. We normally talk about that for cold weather. It happens on the top end of the scale as well, because horses are actually adapted to be more tolerant of cold weather than they are hot weather. And and I know, like I said, you know, being in California, you know, Texas and Florida, where I spent a lot of my my life, you know, I'm used to the hot weather. So you, you think the horses are somewhat adapted, but generally, what are we considering hot for a horse? Yeah, that's a good question. So we can think about this two ways. So one, you can think about just the fact of their core body temperature. So what happens when a horse is heat stressed is they just simply can't expel the heat they've generated fast enough and it increases their body temperature. You know, you've probably experienced the same thing in life at some point. You've gotten really hot. You might've felt nauseous, elevated heart rate, breathing harder, All of this heat stress, the same general thing happens to the horse as well. So if we think about their body temperature, you know, resting temperature is between 99 to 101 degrees. Anything above 103.5, we would consider heat stress. 
And, you know, the horse is actually going to, in their own way, show those same symptoms that a human does during heat stress. And then if you go above like 106, the death zone is 107. Like you actually have cells, particularly it happens really quickly in their muscle cells, but they start breaking down because of that high heat. Um, so, you know, horses can become a toxic, really rapid heart rate and breathing rate. They'll actually go down because they'll go into shock. So that's what we're 100% looking to avoid, having a heat stress event so significant that you dramatically increase their core body temperature. The other way to think about it, and probably more how, you know, you would generally think about it day to day is what's the temperature outside and what's the humidity. So we kind of look at that combination because like you said, dry heat, even though it's high, can actually be less taxing on the horse's body because they still have the option for evaporative cooling. They'll sweat effectively. They can actually disperse the heat that way. Once you start adding humidity on top of it as well, then we can start running into issues. So if we look at that combined temperature, heat and humidity, if it is under 130 degrees, the horse's cooling mechanisms should work well. In the zone of 130 to 150, you can still exercise your horse, but you need to be a little bit more mindful because this is where they can start to be stressed. So their cooling mechanism will still work, but you're creeping towards making it more difficult. So in fact, before we started this podcast, we were talking about how I was going to leave and ride tonight. And I go, where in the zone am I? Okay. I'm in that 130 to 150. So I'm going to do slower work. I'm going to focus on my lateral work. I'm not going to spend a lot of time cantering. So things like that is what you need to keep in mind when you're in that 130 to 150. Above 150, now we need to start being a lot more cautious. And once you get that combined temperature plus humidity above 180, you have to be really careful. You're really not recommended to exercise or stress your horse by things like travel. So, you know, horse in a hot trailer, you might think about, I would only travel at night when the conditions would be that hot and humid during the day because the horse simply can't disperse that heat. And then we run into the risk of that core body temperature rising. Yeah, no. So again, just to reiterate that, so you're adding the temperature and humidity. And so you said today where you are in Ohio is like 90 degrees and roughly 50% humidity. So you're in that, you're 140, you add those two together. So you're in that can be stress zone. So you're not going to ride too hard tonight. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we're going to keep it short. We're going to keep it low key. But if, you know, one of the things you run into in certain parts of the country, if we were to only ride when it's below 130, well, you're going to take half the summer off. So it's just being mindful of what the conditions are, tailoring your work, and then thinking about how you cool your horse off afterwards. Yeah, right. And one of the things you talked about too was was body temperature. And that was one of the things my PhD research looked at was heat stress in horses and, and exercise stress and effects on fertility. And I was telling you before we started, I, I got mares in the 103 to 105 zone relatively quickly in Texas in the summer, heat of the day. All my horses were under veterinary supervision. We watched them very carefully. It, it was just to, to, to get them into that, that stress zone a little bit to, to measure the effects on fertility. I got a mare of, of 106 one time. And I remember, you know, we had to really carefully cool her off. 
And, and that happened rapidly, 20 minutes of exercise, moderate, not even hard, intense. So that heat can really cook your horses. So you have to be really careful. Yeah. So what exactly were the results of that study? Right. So what we did is, you know, I did it for two years and I would flush the mares to recover their embryos and I cut their fertility in half. Wow. So the embryo, yeah, the embryos I got were of terrible quality. You know, it was like they were cooked. They were, they were, you know, a lot of them were dead, dead embryos. So in an embryo transfer program, we couldn't use them, you know, like a performance mare. Yeah. So, so it made waves. F- yeah. F- yeah. Food for thought. If you do embryo transfer, think about what is the weather? How hard am I working my horse around when she's being flushed? I think that is super interesting. You know, the other things to point out, it's not just exercise. So foals are much less tolerant to the heat. Um, I certainly know people who live in hot places, they'll body clip foals just because some of them come out super fuzzy and they're just not able to dissipate heat well enough. Other things like horses who are overweight or even ones that genetically are just really heavily muscled, they're not going to be able to tolerate high heat and humidity as well too. So just all things to think about that. Yes, like we do have these nice ranges, but you have to think about the individual as well and certain circumstances. Like those mares may have been okay from the standpoint that you cool them off, they could go perform again, but their fertility was certainly impacted, which is a very specific focus you had. Um, And if you're going to spend all the money to do an embryo transfer, you want to flush good embryos. (laughs) Yes, it made waves. It definitely made some waves. And it's also important, like you said, transport in the back of that horse trailer, it's probably hotter than it is outside. So, you know, be very aware of that stuff. Now talking about how horses regulate body temperature, you you, you did mention sweating, cooling mechanisms. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, that, that frothy sweat, I just, those hot days, I just always get it on your saddle pad, on your legs. Oh, you know, just being around horses in the heat, you you notice that. So, so what's going on there? Yeah. So that is their main mechanism for dispersing heat. So through evaporative cooling and it's stunning. Horses can lose two to four gallons of sweat while exercising for an hour. That is so much sweat. So couple things you're like, I mean, think of a gallon of milk (laughs) now. Yeah. Think of four of those. Um, So yeah, the main thing you're losing there is water. So they have to replenish that water. And definitely one of the old wives tales was don't let a hot horse drink. Totally not true. Let them drink. They need to replenish their water. Even if they are hot, it's not going to cause founder or colic or any of the other things we used to think. The other thing is they are losing electrolytes in their sweat. So there are a lot of different electrolytes, uh, sodium, potassium, chloride, Uh, calcium and magnesium. The biggest one though, by far is sodium. So generally we're thinking about replacing part of what's lost in sweat. Um, We used to think we had to replace all of what's lost in sweat. Now we know that obviously they're going to recover that from their basic diet as well. Uh, But certainly, particularly when horses are working hard, sweating day after day, some electrolyte replenishment would be required and definitely salt. Um, So kind of the only thing I recommend on top of tributes all the time is access to free choice salt. 
just your basic white salt will do the job. And sometimes a particular horse doesn't really work on a salt lick. We might actually use a loose salt, add it to their grain portion itself, just so we make sure that we're providing that. And just about how much could they add to the grain ration? So, you know, you'd start with one tablespoon twice a day. If a horse is working really hard, we could increase it to two tablespoons twice a day um, of just plain white loose salt. Now, sometimes we might use an electrolyte preparation as well, particularly if a horse is working hard to replace some of those other electrolytes. One thing you have to be cautious is, one, an electrolyte needs to be mostly salt anyways. And then two, some of them are really high in sugar. A little sugar is actually useful for electrolyte absorption. It, you know, increases that mechanism, but some of them are just super sugary and that's not something you need to add. So just being mindful, definitely white salt. If you're looking at a more commercial electrolyte preparation, look for something that's mostly salt and then a little sugar is okay, but you don't want it to be the main ingredient. And I think it's worth mentioning too, you know, you are replacing salt, but obviously you need that water. So some general tips on how to ensure the horses are getting enough water each day. Yeah. So a horse can drink, you know, normally 10 gallons a day. They'll drink up to 20 gallons a day when they're hot and sweating quite a bit. The biggest thing is just free access to fresh, clean water. So keeping those tanks clean, you know, if you have a hay dunker, make sure you're replacing it really quickly so it doesn't get kind of scummy. Some horses aren't great drinkers. So forcing salt into their diet, like we talked about, adding that one or two tablespoons can encourage them to drink. Other horses, you know, sometimes we do flavor type things in their water. If you do that, you want to make sure you have a fresh water and a flavored water separate make sure that you offer both of those and then monitor things like your automatic waters, those sort of things when it's hot out, just to make sure that you don't inadvertently cause a water issue if a line goes out or something like that. I, like I said earlier, when, you know, young grad student get my master's degree in in California, that automatic water, I, ever since this happened to us, I remember walking out one day, you know, checking on the mares and foals in the afternoon and it was the, she had flipped up the paddle mm. to the automatic water and she had no water. We don't know how long because we check it twice a day, but it's just, and it was a hot day, you know, it was always over hundred degrees, you know, in the central Valley. And I remember ever since then, always check those automatic waters and always, you know, talked about that. So don't become complacent with that. It was a big lesson for me early on in my career, you know, that, you know, you want to make sure that that's, that's running. Cause they can drink what over 20 gallons a day. Yeah. And that hot. the other thing to think about when you have automatic waters is making sure the refill time is such that you don't have, you know, a line of horses waiting for water because your automatic water refills too slowly. That's an issue you can have that could create a water consumption problem. If you know, you have too many horses for what the water is capable of. Yeah, we ended up putting a big trash can of water in there because she just kept flipping it up. <laughs> and, then, and then she knocked it over and, and trampled it. It was just, you know, horses. horses. You're like, I'm yeah, trying horses. to do the best thing for you. How could you be so difficult? I had a gelding growing up that he always knew when we were going to horse show. And he would poop in his water bucket the night before. It's only <laughs> once he was braided. But you're like, oh, come on, buddy. We're about to travel tomorrow. And so you'd have like three different water buckets hung up in hopes that he, you know, would keep one of them clean. But yeah, horses. He was telling you he didn't want to go. Uh, pretty much. I mean, 
But um, yeah, horses always make things more complicated than they need to be. Mm-hmm. Well, just to kind of tie this all up, are there any other tips you can give, you know, especially currently what's going on today, but, you know, and for every summer, for every spring, you know, when it really heats up, what are some of the things horse owners can do to make their horses more comfortable and safe? Yeah, that is a great question. So this is, I mean, totally outside of nutrition. Obviously, you know, as much access to water, we can think about salt, but other things to keep them cool, shade, fans, misting systems make sense in some parts of the country, not in others. Uh, The other thing, and I think this is super fascinating. So they did all this research for the Atlanta Olympics, and there's still misconceptions about, all right, if your horse is already hot, how do we cool them off? And we used to think that you should not do continuous water. So you would hose and scrape, hose and scrape. You would focus the water on where the large vessels are. And that's actually completely opposite of what we should be doing. So continuous cool water, pointing that water towards places that have lots of surface area with lots of blood vessels. So the neck, the rib cage, kind of covering all those places where a horse would actually naturally sweat, for example, the neck really well. They have lots of blood vessels there. That's a faster way to cool the core body temperature of the horse. So those are some things to think about that have just kind of fundamentally changed from how we used to think about cooling down the overheated horse. And uh, I think it's super interesting that, you know, something like the Olympics drove the actual research to prove this. So there's some really interesting tips out there if you want to look into that, that just kind of talk about how that's changed. No, and it's always, you know, it's always good if you suspect your horse is overheating or something, you know, to get a you know rectal thermometer and know how to take your horse's temperature. And again, oh, yeah. It, yep. Yeah. And that 103 above range, you know, that's really where they're, they're starting to get in trouble. Yep. And it- if you find your horses that hot, go ahead and get the vet on the phone. So you could start doing, you know, the continuous water that to cool them down. Um, but some of them are going to need additional fluids to help rehydrate them. And certainly if their body temperature is really high, you're going to need some veterinary intervention, but hopefully we're not going to get there. Uh, fingers crossed, even though it's hot that we won't have any horses with that, you know, high level of heat stress. I think we'll leave it there, Nicole. You know, thank you so much. I, I hope people find that useful. And please continue giving us your comments on Facebook, on Instagram. Thank you so much for sharing this with your friends, other equine enthusiasts. You know, we definitely see our audience growing. Don't forget, you can submit questions to us that we'll answer on the podcast. So we just started to do that. So please send in your questions and you know, we'll start answering them towards the end, but thank you so much. And Nicole, take care and stay cool. (laughs) Thanks, Chris.